Girl, you got money? No. But uh, I was just wondering if you could keep it for just a few hours while I try and go get Girl, it. do you think I'm crazy? Now, you got to pay your money like all the other mothers in here. Okay. Thank you. Come on in here. You hungry? No, ma'am. Yes, you are. Quit lying. When you bring that baby, oh, she be starving, so I know you must eat too. Here, eat that. I don't know what's the matter with you young girls having all these babies. Look, no, you can't take care of look, them. Look, I don't need no lecture from you. I know what I've done. They're here now. They're my responsibility. You know what? Lena, come on. Let's go. Oh, sit down, no. girl. I'm just talking to you. Eat and settle down. Eat. You're a good mother. I got enough bad ones running through here to know that. Now, what is going on with you? managed to make it through, but now it, it's just getting harder and harder. It ain't somehow. It's the Lord. And all that means is you're getting close to a breakthrough. <laughs> Till then, you just keep praying. I pray. I try to pray, and I try to live right. But what's it getting me? Look at me. If you could see the look on my baby's faces when that man turned my lights off. Now, you listen to me. Don't you ever get tired of doing the right thing? Because in the end, that's what pays off. You're the best mother I have seen. <laughs> that's why I'm going to keep that baby. I wouldn't do that for these other ones here. At least they can afford to pay you, Miss Mildred. <laughs> Honey, I don't want to know half what they're doing to get that money. <laughs> well, everybody needs someone to tell you, just sit down and eat. I'm just talking to you. We need to sell, tell someone to tell us don't get tired of doing right, even if it's hard. We need someone to help us make right choices in life. Let me, let me say it again. All of us need someone to help us make right choices in life. And guess what? That's what moms and dads are all about. That's probably our number one parenting role is to help our kids make right choices that please God. That's what it's all about. How many know that? You know, every parent, uh, uh, as we celebrate Mother's Day, every mom and dad is proud of their children, but we are particularly proud when our kids do things that please God. As Pastor Mike said, I'm going uh, next weekend, uh, actually weekend after next, my son's getting his CPA license in, uh, in Arkansas, 22 years old. I mean, that's a big deal. And I'm real proud of him. But let me tell you a different type of proud I have. When he was in the 12th grade, he was a soccer player. It was the love of his life. He was the best player on the field. And he had a, a player on one of his teams. He was a handicapped boy. He, one of his legs, I think, was shorter than the other, and he couldn't run fast. He just was, had filled with limitations. But my son was always looking out for him, making sure nobody picked on him, making sure he always got the ball, and making sure that he got to play. And he had a sensitivity in his heart. Well, you know, that's the second great commandment. Love your neighbor 
Yeah. Well, there's a different type of pride in that. My daughter Bethany, she's home from college after her first year, and last summer she, uh, she got every high school kid's dream. She was a UCA cheerleader, which means she's the cheerleader that goes after high school and gets to do camps all over the state of Texas. And I mean, she's going all over Texas, driving her little car and staying in fancy hotels, and I was proud of her. She was growing up. But it was we talked about what she was going to do this summer. She said, uh, she told me, she said, I don't think I want to be a cheerleader this year. She said, I think God's calling me into the ministry. And uh, we talked about her working at the church here this summer. Well, how I many know, listen, cheerleaders are great, but when you make a decision with your life that has uh, eternal benefits to it, how I many know that makes a parent proud? My youngest, Rebecca, is 11. Now, Rebecca's kind of 11. She's a shorter 11 on her team, fifth and sixth grade. She's fifth grade, sixth and some seventh graders. Well, she's the number four batter on her team, and she just gets up there, and she swings at the ball, and she hits it somewhere, and she runs, and I'll tell you what, we're just not, we're, we're proud of more than foul balls at this stage of the game. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We're proud she gets on base, but I have a different type of pride. Because right now, as you're in here, she came to church with us last night, and today in both services, now she's 11, she teaches two- and three-year-olds. Now, I don't mean she brings the Kool-Aid to them. She does the lesson, and she teaches those kids, and the reason is because she's better than the adults. Now, she's got adults that are helping her, but it is a ministry to her. Now, I want to see, there's, we're proud of the ball games, and ball games are great, but when you make spiritual choices in life that have eternal value and benefit, how many know that's what really makes a parent proud? Now, our text this morning is in keeping of this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is talking about gates and pathways and how many people are on each one. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to what? And how many people are going to be on that road? Lots of people. So literally what Jesus is telling us, most people in life are going the wrong way. They're making the wrong choices. They're going down the wrong road. But Jesus said, small is the gate, and what? Narrow is the road that leads to life, and how many find it? Think about that now. Few people are on the narrow pathway to life. It seems to be that they say America's a Christian nation. Supposedly, a couple hundred million of us are believers, but how many know we're not a hundred, couple hundred million people on the narrow pathway? See, and it's a different than just believing some Bible information and following Christ as the Lord of your life. Well, it's all about choices and helping your child make the choice to go through the narrow door and then stay on the narrow path is, I'm going to suggest to you, the number one task of the parent. It is a lifelong process to us. Now, this series that we started last week was called Choices. And how many know the right choices in life will bring you happiness and success? The wrong choices will bring you heartache and pain. And that applies in everything all about life. If in the morning, if you make the wrong choice and just decide that, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be at work at 9, but I'm sleepy. I just go in at 10 or so, and you get a pink slip or you're fired on the spot, how many know you made the wrong choice? Cho life is all about making the right choices. Now, today we're talking about the narrow path, and I want to ask you, I'm going to try to answer this question this morning. How do I help my kids stay on the narrow path? Now, this is not just for children. It's for all of us in this room today because every one of us are going to be judged. One day we're going to stand before God and God's going to want to know, what did you do with your life? And my hope is that I, as your pastor, that I can present you to Christ as someone who stayed on the narrow path and made a difference. So here's three things we're going to look at. And it may sound basic, but how many know sometimes the most simple things are the most profound? And the first one has to do with this, of staying on the narrow path, is to know God's Word and do what it says. 
Now, how many know it's not enough just to know where the path is? You've got to get on the path. Know God's Word. Here's the second thing, and this may be new to you. Teach your children to learn to listen to your, the voice of your redeemed conscience. That inner voice inside, we're going to talk about that. Teach your children how to listen to their conscience and do what it says. And then lastly, we're going to talk about learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do what He says. Now, how many know we need the Word of God, we need a redeemed conscience, and we need the Spirit of God to be able to stay on the narrow path? You know, sometimes in life, I need more than a Bible verse to tell me what to do. What do you mean, preacher? There's no Bible verse to tell you whether you should go to Texas A&M or T.C. Both are great schools, but you can't go to both. And how do you make that choice in life? How are you going to make the choice who you're going to marry in life? Can I tell you, friends, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, wants to in some way guide you and direct your steps because, how I many know, all that's important to living this life. So let's explore the Bible together. Let's begin. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to start. 2 Timothy 3. And this first step or this first thing that we can do is teaching our kids to know and obey the Word of God. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul is writing to Timothy, a future leader of the church, his son in the faith, and here's what he says, you, Timothy, must remain faithful in the things you've been taught. Now, how many know whatever you've been taught in life, that's the kind of person you're going to be, whether you were taught truth or whether you were taught error, the right thing or the wrong thing. And how many know people are constantly learning and we're making our choices based on what we learn? If you're in the medical profession, how many know medicine has evolved over the years and what was considered a proper uh, procedure and the right way to do it, today they're doing it a little bit differently. Aren't you glad today they don't have to just cut everybody down the breastbone and open, your, you know, to do something on your heart? They're learning. Things are improving in their lives. Well, he says you've got to be faithful to what you've been taught. Now, listen to this, because you know they're true. Now, in our world today, our world has lost its moral compass, and your kids are not picking up in culture any longer what's true and what's false. Listen, if they look at television today and trying to develop their own sense of sexual morality, this is what they'll learn. They learn that you need to get a condom and sleep with, it's okay to sleep with whoever you want to as early in life as possible. It's your choice. Neither your parent nor anybody else needs to tell you what to do. It can be someone of the same sex or someone of the opposite sex because, after all, sex is sex, and it's up to you with what you do. Now, wouldn't you say that that's what the TV's message is today? Well, but how many know just because that's the message in culture doesn't mean that it's true. So what Timothy is, is learning now, you are to stay focused on what you're true because you can always trust those who taught you. Now, this is why it's so imperative that the right people are influencing your child. How many know they can be a great coach playing sports, but if they're providing some ungodly influence, you've got a decision you need to make. So notice what it says now. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. You've been taught the Bible since you were a child. Now, you know who taught him? His mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And their response, what they did is they built a foundation in his life, and this man was going to be the one that carried the baton after Paul graduated and went to heaven. You've been taught the Scriptures from childhood, and these, the, the Scriptures have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Could you say there's nothing more important? But it doesn't stop there. Verse 16. Now, this Scripture... We'll answer the question, why do I need to read the Bible? Why do I need to know the Bible? These little Bible guides that we give out all the time, they're in the lobby every couple months, reading a couple chapters a day. Why do I need to do that? What is the value of the Bible to me in everyday life? After all, Pastor, I read it as a kid. Isn't that enough? Well, listen to what it says of itself. It says, 
All Scripture is inspired by God, which simply means the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, was written as God-inspired men to do it. Now, that's the most basic thing I can tell you. You can simply believe it by faith, or you can give yourself to decades of study, and you will arise at the fact that through archaeology, through proper science, uh, through history, through the studies of throughout the world, the different types of education, they will point you and ultimately affirm that the Bible is true. Now, how many know just because the scientists may not believe the Bible today is true doesn't mean that one day they'll get around to figuring it out. One day they're going to answer the question of why you've got fossils on top of mountains. Come on. One day they're going to see that that when the waters broke up in the book of Genesis and there was a crushing underneath and mountains began to form, oh, oh, no, Pastor, that took billions and billions of years. Really? Maybe just God did it in a moment of time and God just changed the structure of things. But ultimately, you will find yourself the starting place in life for truth is the Bible. Now, we live in a world today that's void of that. But here's what the Scripture says. It is inspired by God, useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Oftentimes, we see that the Bible has been purged from society. The reason is because the world doesn't want to confront truth. Because if you confront the fact of Ten Commandments, and this is, this is totally illogical, that we would rather have a police force in one of our local schools, I think of 10 or 12 policemen, full-time on campus, we'd rather have that than posted on the walls, one of the commandments, thou shalt not murder. We'd rather control violence with police dogs and metal detectors. The reason we don't want these things in American society today, the reason our society is being purged from truth, is because people don't want to be told that they're wrong. Well, listen, if I'm on the wide path leading to destruction, the most loving thing you can do for me is to tell me that I'm on the right path, not condemn me, but tell me in humility, show me how to get on it so I can get on the road to life. Somebody say, praise the Lord. The Bible will expose our rebellion, it will correct our mistakes, and it will train us to live God's way. Now, let me ask you a question. What is this? Anybody know? Yeah, it's a tom-tom. It's for your car. It is God's gift to man. I want to tell you what, if you're taking a trip, how many have a little experience to understand what I'm talking about? I'll tell you, you can be downright stretched. I remember the days. Linnell and I are taking a trip somewhere. Uh, I'm trying to drive and the map is wrong. And, and our marriage is being tested right in the car. But no longer. With Mr. Tom, Tom, you turn it on and it says something blinking. Here you are. Where you want to go? I want to go home. And 45,000 calculations. It's going to take you two hours and ten minutes. You go up here, you go there, you go there, you go there, you stop, you stir, you show, you're at home. How about if you did this? How about if God has given us a tom-tom? Press it. Today, May 7th, 2011. What's your destination? Heaven. Narrow path or wide path? Narrow path. And every day of your life, God's Word, God's Spirit, and your redeemed conscience are guiding you to stay on the path. And if you get off the path... Now, somehow, my daughter has programmed her voice into our our, our (laughs) tom-tom. And she got her friend, Mariah, to program some of it, too. So, periodically, we hear, take, take the freeway. (laughs) And if we miss the exit, it says, take a right, one-half mile, turn around. Get back, right, right, right. And it gets you back on the path. Can I tell you, that is exactly what the Bible does. If we will know it and if we will obey it. 
Here's what I know. Every one of us gets off the path. How quickly will you get back on the path? Because with Mr. Tom Tom, I don't care how far you get off base, it will constantly refigure a right pathway for you to get back on base and get the way you need to go. Well, that is what the Bible is all about. Your kids will not get it on the Internet. You cannot Google the path of righteousness and truth. Whoever programs Mr. Google does not know what it is. And the first thing that pops up may not be the popular answer. It may be the ad somebody paid for. You, under, you understand? So we live in a world, and our kids need to know right from wrong. And can I tell you, it is found in the Bible. And your church is your partner in raising your children. We have tremendous kids' ministry, high school ministry, college-age ministry. Listen, I'm around those kids that do what's called junior Bible quiz, and they do it about six months out of the year. These kids, I've had two kids in, in a, a Christian school. Rebecca went through JBQ. She knows more of the Bible than they do. I, I'm, she knows more of the Bible than I do sometimes. I'm embarrassed to say that. But, I mean, it's an intense way of learning the Bible. But if you just keep your kids in a regular church environment. Now, listen to me. I know the pressures of parenting. When, the more your kid excels in their given sport, our culture no longer holds Sunday a sacred day of worship. And if your kid goes up in the... Pro sooner or later, they've got to be playing ball on Sunday. I understand all those pressures. But I'm telling you, your kid, when they get to the end of their life, they're not going to be playing football when they're 50. They're not going to be playing basketball for a living. You know, they're not going to be doing all those things. But God will impact them the rest of their life. If you will get your kids in these church ministries and church programs, if you'll do it in elementary age and let us write on the script of their heart as your partner, then when they're in high school and Pastor Travis and gang take them over, let me, listen, I have had the most amazing experiences this spring watching these kids. They have Christian clubs in our local high schools. In the evenings, one Tuesday night, I'm at Texas High. They've got 250 kids. They're worshiping God. Come on, kids are leading this thing. They're talking about how Christ has changed their life. I'm at Redwater. There's 150 kids there, and I'm listening to these 11th graders, the athlete of the school, tell these kids that are listening, don't go the way I used to go. I used to live an immoral life, and it brought nothing to me. I used to live for trophies, and now I live for Jesus. Amen. Listen, at Arkansas High, a couple hundred kids out there, the next morning they're around the flag, but this is all student-led. The next morning they're around the flagpole, and there are 75 kids that show up to pray. I want to tell you, if you have a junior high or a high school kid, you get them in that environment, it will be contagious to them. And we're not throwing them away after high school. Pastor Joe and the gang does a great job with the college-age ministry. You know, Texas A&M invited them to come out and have a church service on campus, come on, once a month. Now, isn't that great? So you get your kids in a godly environment, and maybe rather than running the roads, they'll be running to church. Come on. And it may be a little bit for you to get them down here before they can drive, but if you do it, I promise you, you'll reap the benefit the rest of your life because they're on the narrow path. Let me give you another one. Now go to Romans chapter 9. The first thing about helping your children get on the path and stay on it was the foundation of the Word of God. Now this next one is super crucial. It has to do with your conscience. You need to teach your children and yourself to listen and follow your conscience. Now, explore this. You might have never heard this. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul said, I am in Christ, and I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit, and it tells me when I'm not lying. Think about this. My conscience... Ruled by the Holy Spirit, somehow redeemed and submitted to God, undergirded by His Word for truth. This is the New Century Version. And my conscience will tell me if I'm lying. You say, well, what's the big deal? Because lying will keep you off the narrow pathway. 
If you don't care about it, if you just modern-day situation ethics, do whatever you have to do, say whatever you have to say to get what you want, and that's what's right. Can I tell you, my friend, that is a lie. You've got to see that there's a worldly way and a godly way. When I was in college, I got a minor in psychology. I had to unlearn most of it because it was man-centered. Mr. Maslow told me the top of the pyramid was not God, but self-actualization. That I could be whatever I wanted and do whatever I wanted to do. But the Bible tells me in Ecclesiastes, the wisest man who lived, Solomon, said, Hear this, the whole duty of man is to fear God and obey His commandments because one day you're going to give an account for your life. So who are you going to live for? Maslow or God? The wide path or the narrow path? So that's, the, that's what we're talking about. Well, your conscience is involved in this. Your conscience, by definition, is an inborn sense of right and wrong. Everybody's got one. It is a self-awareness of the inner voice of your spirit, and it judges your behavior. Now, how does it work? Go back to Adam and Eve. Garden of Eden, what was the one thing God told them not to do? Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the garden. Once you do it, you'll die. You'll be separated from me. What happened when they ate that fruit and God came for a visit that afternoon? What did they do? They hid. Now, who told them to hide? The voice of conscience. The voice of conscience told them, you've done something wrong, and, 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 and you need to do something because of that. Now, how many know your children have a conscience? Let me tell you a funny Miller story. When my son was probably four or five years old, we lived in Wake Village. It's a day off. It's Monday. We're just kind of hanging out at home. And how many know if it's too quiet for your kids, you, you know there's a problem. If you're a parent, you know, now your first child, I mean, it may be a shift of 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. You take turns. Everybody's watching them to make sure they're breathing, to, you know, to make sure their head's not in the toilet and everything. But when they get a little older, you know what I'm talking about. The first child, when the pacifier falls on the ground, you boil it in water. <laughs> you know, the third one, you wipe it off on your pants, or maybe you put it in your mouth. I don't know what you do, but, but it, it just it changes. Well, well, he's our first child. We're trying to do good. He's four or five years old, and, and it's quiet. I walk around the house, John, nothing. John, I make the loop around the downstairs, can't find him. Upstairs, John, nothing. Go to the backyard, John Miller, garage, John Miller, I'm panicking. I said, Linnell, you need to help me. You need to walk around the neighborhood. We go around all the houses in the neighborhood, true story now, looking in backyards, knocking on doors. Have you seen my son? Please don't call 800-whatever on me, but I lost him. I don't know where he is. So I think, well, okay. But before I call the cops, I'm going to go through the house one more time. I look in the closet in the guest bedroom, and sitting in the bottom of this closet on a shelf is a little four-year-old boy with a box of cookies in his hand. <laughs> Dinner time is approaching. He had a moral choice to make. He violated his conscience, but because conscience was involved, he hid in the closet. <laughs> now, when you're four and are in a healthy environment, your conscience is pretty good, okay? But when you get older, how many know your conscience can get perverted? Because we share three things. We share the heritage of Adam and Eve of sin. Worldly influences can affect our conscience and our own sinful choices. Listen to the Scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 2. It's talking about people who are deceived. Now listen, people who are deceived and they leave the faith. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are what? Say it again. 
dead. That voice is no longer alive and active. Uh, uh, the Message Bible says these liars have lied so well for so long, they've lost their capacity for truth. Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? That's not a joke. Have you thrown anything at your television lately when they're telling you that, come on, whatever they're telling, everything is okay in America. Everything is fine. Don't worry. Just give us more money. It's, everything is okay. Because if you don't give us more money, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. They have lied for so long, their consciences don't know the difference. Here's the problem. We need to reprogram our conscience. Once again, if you build the foundation of your life, let me give you an illustration. I, I, I'm an outdoorsman. I like to hunt, and I, I finally scraped up enough money here, and I bought me a little toy. It's a watch with a compass on it. Anyone ever been lost in a national park, forest, you know, tens of thousands of acres? You know what it's like. You've been chasing that little turkey or that deer, and you wake up and think, and you try to figure out where the road is, where your truck is, and you, you walk 30 minutes, and you're right back where you started, and your GPS won't work because there's trees everywhere. I got a little compass here, and here's what you do. If you hit the button that says comp on it, it's got a little digital thing. It spins around in a circle, and it's looking for magnetic north, something that I can't see, but it knows where it is, and it finds it. And once it finds it, I turned myself around, and I knew that I walked, I walked north when I left the truck. So now if I'll just walk south, which is the opposite direction, I'm going to end up back at the truck. Are you, are you with me? But, it, but you know what it said before turkey season? I hadn't used it since duck season, and it said, please recalibrate. It's been dormant for so long. Well, can I tell you, and to recalibrate it, I had to slowly turn it just like this. Two different rotations as that little button was looking for north. And once I did it, it said, thank you, now you know the way to go. Can I tell you, your conscience is the exact same thing. It needs to be reprogrammed with the Word of God yes. to know yes. right from wrong. Yes. Now, let me tell you how this works practically in our world. I have, I have struggled all my life to try to understand how a physician or a nurse could actively be involved in doing abortions for their life. I've struggled with it. The greatest struggle is the partial birth abortion. Now, I could somewhat understand when Roe versus Wade was passed, they didn't have the technology to see what was going on in the womb. They didn't know when, you know, the lungs started working in the heart and brain and all that. They could kind of understand, hence the language of it's a blob of tissue, it's the product of conception, and you know how that goes. But the partial birth abortion when a child is fully developed, they allow it to be two-thirds born, and with the head still in the mother's womb, they take scissors and put it in the back of their head, and they use a catheter, and they take the brains out. I, I cannot understand barbarism like that. But now when I understand that if your conscience is built on the wrong set of facts and truth. See, the Bible says man is created in the image of God. And because of that, we have value. Whether we're unborn, elderly, handicapped, it doesn't matter. But in the world, listen, you know Margaret Sanger. Let me particularly speak to African Americans that are here. Margaret Sanger has done more to destroy the black race in America than any other person through Planned Parenthood. She designed Planned Parenthood so she could bring down the black population. I'm telling you the truth. You research it. Why do you think they put abortion clinics in minority neighborhoods? How can people do these things? It's because their conscience is built on something other than the Word of God. People are products to be used. When they lose, lose their economic viability, they're just a drain on culture so you get rid of them. Or it's a great way to make a lot of money. 
So whatever the case is, that's the foundation of my belief system. Hence, it doesn't bother me when I do what's wrong. But when I recalibrate myself with the Word of God, are you with me? Now I know that life is created in the image of God, that life is precious, that God wrote all my days in a book before one of them came to pass. And the best, those that are in authority that want to silence the voices, silence the messenger rather than recalibrate. When I am lost in the woods, I want to find out where north is so I can get back to the right place and stay on the narrow path. But the world doesn't care. They want to get rid of the watch. Wow. It's the world we live in today. Listen to another scripture, and, I, and I'll move on. Uh, it's back in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.19. Cling to your faith in Christ, the narrow path. Keep your conscience for some people have deliberately violated their conscience. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So I tell you this, if you continue, have you wondered why that when you do something wrong that's against your conscience long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore? And you even think as a Christian in your deception that God no longer minds you doing this particular sin. He no longer minds you looking at the pornography in front of the computer because he understands your stress. He understands your marital problems. He understands, so hence it's okay. Can I tell you, just because the sky doesn't fall doesn't mean it's okay, but if you deaden your conscience, you won't know that it's wrong. That's pretty good. John chapter 16. The foundation of the Word of God how many know when you get off base as a Christian, God will always help you get on base? Remember the Tom Tom? I don't care how, how much you try to mess this thing up. It's going to keep recalibrating. It's going to keep trying to put you on the right path. And if I just said something a moment ago that made you feel guilty or shame, reject that as from the devil if you've confessed it before God. If not, get it under the blood and recalibrate and get back on track. See, if the devil can't shame you, if he can't entice you to get off the path, he'll shame you but tell you you're not worthy to get back on the path. He's tricky. Here's the last one. Listen and obey the Holy Spirit. Now, John 16, verse 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said a pretty amazing thing. Now, remind you, you've got the Son of God walking on the earth. You've got people that are being miraculously healed. They're hungry. They're supernaturally eating bread and fish. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, it's better for you if I leave and the Holy Spirit comes. Now, how could that be? Because somehow for the Christian, the Holy Spirit, and I cannot explain how this works, but somehow He comes to live inside you. And it doesn't diminish who He is, but it makes an awareness of God in you that you did not have before. Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, and I'm closing, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit's going to help you walk the narrow path. He will tell you what is to come. What's this saying? He's communicating. He says it again. Verse 14. The Spirit of truth will bring glory to me, Jesus is talking, because He will take what I have to say and tell it to you. So somehow the Holy Spirit is going to communicate to you. You say, well, how does that? I I'm not talking about spiritism, mysticism. I'm not talking about turning down the lights and lighting incense and using a Ouija board or all that craziness. I'm talking about you learning to hear the voice of God. You see, it could be through a spiritual gift. The, the Bible talks about the gift of prophecy God might speak to you. Uh, it could be through a dream. Dreams and visions. You know, Jesus was cared for by Joseph because God spoke to Joseph in dreams when Jesus was a baby. He got him to Egypt. He got him back home. And then he put him in Bethlehem. And, and, and the Holy Spirit was directing him through dreams. 
Joseph was scared to go because he thought Herod was going to kill him. But how many know God knows things that we don't know? And he knows if you should go to A&M or TC, he knows who you should marry. Now, listen to me, single people. You want to be married? Let me tell you something. Here's how the world makes it work. You're sitting at the bar, wherever you are at the ball game, and there she is. She's fine. And you know you're fine. And you just are kind of looking. This is, I did this a long time ago. It's been a long time. And you have no brashness about you at all, so you pull out your car keys. And, and stupid as she is, she's drunk over there on the bar stool. Yeah, I'll go with you. I'll sleep with you. I want somebody to love me. Maybe you're the next one. I'm not being ugly to you. I'm just telling you. And then you're hooked up. Then you move in together thinking from the world's perspective, if we live together and experiment, we'll know whether we're right for each other. 45% of people live together before they're married in America today. You know statistically there's more domestic violence in people that are in these optional situations than the covenant of marriage. God knows best. Are you building on Maslow or are you building on God? Come on. Well, then, when you have a relationship and you're meeting one another's emotional and sexual and physical needs, then you're going to go to church and pray about getting married? Is this the right one? You've already moved in with them. You're already sleeping with them. I mean, I mean, God, I want your will for my marriage. And she reaches over and just pinches you, you know, on your rear or whatever she does. And I want your will in my marriage. If you want me to marry, do you think the Holy Spirit could talk you out of that? How could he do that? You've already built on the wrong foundation. You are so connected with the thing in every fashion. God couldn't get you off with a crowbar. So, so this voice of God thing, the quicker you say yes, yes to the Word, yes to conscience, and yes to the Spirit, the easier it's going to be to stay on the path. Because I forgot to mention to you, you know, she's a, uh, she has some secret things going on in her life, come on, that you didn't know about until you got with her, and now you can't get out. I'm going to close with this passage, 1 Samuel chapter 3. We all need to learn to listen to the voice of God. This is a marvelous little passage, and I don't have much commentary, but the picture is the nation of Israel is in a mess. Eli is the priest. He's not a good guy, but little Samuel is God's answer. Samuel's a young man at this time. I think he's about 10, maybe 12 years of age. He's very young, and he's living in church. Mom has given him to the Lord. It's a great little story of Hannah. But let me close with this verse 3. Samuel is asleep in the tabernacle, and suddenly the Lord calls out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? So he got up and ran to Eli. He hears something. Now, when I say God's speaking to you, it's not, it's not just an audible voice. It's often the small, still voice the Bible speaks of. It's the peace that acts as an umpire, Colossians talks about. But somehow he heard the voice of God. And then he goes, and uh, he goes to Eli, and he said, well, here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli. I said, go back to bed. Verse 6, the Lord called to Samuel again, and again Samuel got up, and he went to Eli. Well, here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Now, look at verse 7. It's filled with revelation. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he'd never heard a message from the Lord before. 
There is a first time that God will speak to your child. There's a first time that God will speak to you. And then you will know that voice. Now, this sounds easy. It's hard to walk out, but I'm telling you, it's Bible. So verse 8, the Lord calls a third time, and once more Samuel went to Eli. Well, here I am. Did you call? And now then this man said he realized it was the Lord calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Can you say that? Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Boy, isn't that, wouldn't that be powerful if you and I could have that attitude before God each day? Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, yeah, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. So let me tell you this as I close. Sometimes you need more than a Bible verse to tell you what to do. You will not find a Bible verse that says go to A&M, go to T.C., but you will find the Holy Spirit that can lead you to the right college, the right person to marry, the right job, the right investment. Come on, God, Jesus told us that He would guide us into truth. He'd lead us on the narrow path, and He'll keep us there. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. The way to life, the Bible's pretty clear. The Word of God, it's a redeemed conscience, and it's the Spirit of God. But how many know we all got to say yes? And we'd like to bless all the moms that are here. We've got a little gift for you, a pretty rose. I want you to, all the moms to come up front now. Mothers, come on down here. Linnell's going to pray for you. Mothers, and listen now, grandmothers, uh, maybe you're here and you've lost a child. I want you to come. Maybe you're here and, and, and uh, you're married and you'd like to get pregnant. We want you to come. We'll pray for you if you, can't get, if you can't get pregnant. We'll pray that God would open your womb like He did Samuel's mom. But if you're here today, we want to we we just pray a blessing over your life. We're going to have to get kind of close. We've got a lot of us right now. Come on up a little bit closer here. I think we're going to need a little bit of room here. Come on, guys. Give these ladies a big hand. Give them a big hand. Well, let's make some way. Help us out here. Need some fellas, a little traffic control here. Kind of coming towards the middle. We got some more room back over here. Maybe we can just slide a little bit. Let everybody come on down. Praise the Lord. Well, as they're making their way down, first of all, let me say, I don't know who it is that needs to tell you thank you. I don't know who it is today that needs to honor you. And I don't know if you're going to get that honor or thanks or not. But if I could just, if you could just close your eyes and pretend I'm that person, let me just say thank you for the sacrifices, for your labor of love, for your not giving up, for always being there. How many know mom puts up with a lot? And sometimes we don't get the commensurate thank you back. I had the cutest little girl last night. I said, are you going to cook breakfast for mommy tomorrow? And she said, no, but I got a ticket from school and I'm taking her to Wendy's for breakfast. <laughs> and, and, and she was about, she was about five or six there. But, but let me, my closing thought to you is this. When you start the parenting process, your children are, are an infant in your hands. And you literally control 100% of their life. But as they grow older, the next number of years, you're starting to gradually put your hands behind your back. And, you know, in that awkward age, somewhere 11, 12, your hands are kind of here. And, and now for my oldest, my hands are back here. But can I tell you, just because my hands are back here doesn't mean that I'm helpless. Your prayer is always heard by God. God will always hear you. And your prayer will help your child get on the right path, 
and stay on the right path. And when they get off, help them get back on. And you can take that with you. Whether you see it instantly or whether you labor for that child most of your adult days, don't give up. See, God chose you to raise the child that He gave you. He could have chosen any other woman on the planet at any other time. But He looked at several billion people on the planet and said, I want you to raise her and I want you to raise him. And God's given you a covering and care to watch over that child all their days. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So as you talk to God about that, sometimes they won't listen to you talk to them about God. But God will always listen to you talking to them, talking to Him about them. And they can't do anything about that. Well, I want to pray a blessing over you. Lord, I just thank you for each and every mother that's up here. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifices they've made. I thank you, Lord, for the prayers that they've prayed. I thank you, God, that they have often put their children in front of them, whether it's clothes they needed or extra food that's, that, they, that they gave to them instead of eating it themselves. And I pray you'd bless them today. I pray that your face would shine upon them. I pray, Lord, for all of the young moms that are here today, those, Lord, that, are, that have little children at home. I pray for extra strength and extra grace for them. I pray, Lord, that patience would be their portion. I pray, Lord, that as they hold them in their lap, that they would tell them about the love of Jesus. I pray for these moms that have school-aged children, that, Lord, as they lean over them to help them with their homework, that they would be able to teach their children the difference between truth, the, the, what the Word of God says, and, and what maybe is man's opinion, Lord. I pray for those with teenagers. Lord, I pray that as we go through the teenage years that we would have wisdom insight, Lord, that you would help these moms to know and what their kids are doing and be able to stop them and help them get back on the right track. I pray for the grandmothers here, Lord, those with grown children. I pray and with grandchildren that you would help them never to lay down their role as a mother, that they would pray and pray and stand in the gap, Lord, for their grandchildren, for their adult children. I pray for moms Lord, whose children have gone astray, that aren't on the right path, that have made some wrong decisions. I pray today that you would pour in the healing wine into their lives and that, Lord, they would decide that they're going to be the one that is the intercessor for those grown children. They're going to pray them back into the kingdom of God. They're not going to give up and quit and throw them away, but, Lord, they're going to stand beside them. And that, Lord, I thank you you're bringing the prodigals home. Back home, Lord. Back home to you, Lord. And they're going to serve you and love you and live for you because they have a praying mom. Thank God. As you go through this prayer, let's do this so we can get agreement. If anything that she's saying applies, do you want you to just lift your hand? How many have children away from God right now? Just lift your hand right now. Now let's look around as we do the rest of this prayer. I want somebody to just put your hand on their shoulder right now and agree with them right today that their child is coming back to Christ. Come on, these children are coming back to the right path in their way. Just put your hand on a friend right now and just your way of saying, I agree with you. I believe God with you. I believe God with you. Now keep praying, honey. Pray the next one. Let them raise their hand if it's them. I want to pray for all of those that have lost a child, whether it was a child in your womb or, or a child that you had given birth to. We want to pray for you on this Mother's Day. If that's you, if you want to raise your hand, we're going to lay our hands and pray for you right now. Just pray that God just would bring lay healing hands on this those. right now. Yes, Lord. Healing. God, I just pray right now for all of these moms that have lost a child, that God, you would just pour in your oil and your wine. You would bring healing to them. That, Lord, they would be able to receive, Lord, that peace that, that passes 
surpasses all understanding that would rule and reign in their heart. That, God, you would make that empty place, Lord, the loss of that child. You would fill it, Lord, with your goodness and your mercy. That you would let them know that you love them, Lord, and you still have a plan and a purpose for their lives. Bless these moms. I now want to pray for all of those moms or all of those who have not been able to conceive but have wanted to and have not been able to have a child. If that's you, we want to pray for you this morning. We're going to believe for a miracle. Lord, I just pray for the women that are here today that have so wanted and longed for a child, like Hannah longed for a child, like Elizabeth longed for a child. But, Lord, they were barren. I pray, Lord, that you would open their womb, Lord, and you would cause them to be able to conceive, and that, Lord, they would be able to give birth to a John the Baptist, to a Samuel, Lord, to a man, a, a, a child that would be raised up to know you and to love you and serve you all the days of their lives. Lord, touch these women, Lord, and grant them the desires of their heart to be able to have a child that would be raised to the glory and honor of God. Lord, I just pray a blessing over each and every mother here. Bless them today. Fill them with your peace. Fill them with your joy. Let them know, Lord, how precious and special they are to you and to their families. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Mother's Day.